Welcome to Browncroft. We uh, hope that whether it's your first time here today or your thousandth and first time, that you feel loved and welcomed here in this place. Here at Browncroft, we say we're about inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And uh, there really isn't a better way to kind of symbolize all of that than the series we're doing right now, which is entitled Messengers. Uh, My name is John Amayo, and I have the unenviable task of following up Rob Catalani over the last several weeks, who has done a great job of going through the book of 1 Peter with us and talking about how that applies to this concept of us being messengers. The fact is, all of us are messengers in one way or another, right? Especially in our society, that's just the way it works. Uh, about a week and a half ago, I was in the gym, and I just finished a workout. But, okay, uh, let me also say this caveat right here. Has anybody else noticed that all of Rob's really great stories, they start with, last week in the gym. <laughs> anybody ever notice that? Yeah. All my favorite Rob stories are like last week in the gym stories. So, so I just thought I'd, I'd incorporate one of my own. And I was... I was uh, I was just got done with my workout, and I was drinking a protein shake, of course, look at me, and, um, <laughs> and uh, a, a, an older gentleman walks into the locker room, walks in, and, and he, just, he just stands there and stares at me, and I'm like, okay, so I'm just drinking, you know, and uh, he just sta- stands there and, and then says, hey, power shake, huh? I'm like... I don't know what a power shake is, but I guess so. Yeah, yeah, power shake. And uh, he, he goes on to say, wow, well, have you ever heard of this supplement? And it was, he named a supplement. And I go, no. And he goes, oh, wow, you got to try this stuff. It's amazing. I have arthritis, and look at my hands here with the arthritis. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, like, how old does this guy think I am? You know, I mean, he's, he's got, talking about arthritis and stuff. I'm like, man, okay. And he's like, oh, man, you wouldn't believe the other parts of this workout. Like, I get sore after I work out. This takes it right on away. It's amazing. And, and, and then he ends with this amazing line. He says, this stuff has taken 10 years off, or not 10, taken 10 years, sorry, I recant that. That would make this story worse. He says, he, he says, this stuff has given me 10 years of my life back. So dramatic, so dramatic. And, and I was like, wow, okay, he must really believe in this stuff, right? And uh, I left kind of going, wow, I think that guy really loves that supplement. Whatever that supplement is, I believe he, he really loves it. And as Christians, if you're somebody who is here today and you're saying, hey, I'm following Jesus, we have a way better message than any supplement you could buy on the market today. Am I right? We, yes. Yes, we have a message uh, that has transformed our lives and can transform the lives of the people around us. That's what this message is all about, the message of Jesus, the message of Jesus. So as we start today, I have a question. Has your life been transformed by God? Has your life been transformed by God. Yes. Yes. Good. Good. 
I love that. I love the immediate answers. That's good. Some of us need to think about it a little bit. And if you're, if you're mulling it over, mull it over as, I, as this talk goes on. Mull it over. Think about it. Has my life really been transformed by God? Because that's what this passage is all about. It's a before and after, if you will. It's a before Jesus, we were living this way. Now our lives are called to live this way. And what in the world does that look like to live our lives like he calls us to? We're talking uh, in a passage today about in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. If you have your uh, Bible in the pew in front of you, it's in page uh, 1,223. I know where every passage in the Bible is, just name it. No, I... (laughs) I looked it up before I came up here. Okay, so uh, 1,223, or you can uh, download this really cool Bible app. It's called YouVersion. You can look any passage, any version. You can just have your Bible on your phone at all times. Or also, the uh, words will be right up here on the screen as I read. So let's look together at 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Start it out this way. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you don't join them in reckless and wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Okay, let me give you a snapshot of this passage. If I had to give this passage in one phrase, it would be this. Are you ready for this? Snapshot of this passage in one phrase. The message of Jesus moves us from selfishness to service. The message of Jesus moves us from selfishness to service. I was just uh, able to go on a Hurricane Harvey relief trip this past week. As a matter of fact, uh, it was great. I just got back yesterday afternoon. So if I am incoherent at some point, uh, I didn't get a lot of sleep. I was, uh, I was quote unquote, sleeping in a barracks of 20 uh, or of 100 college guys. Okay, so uh, there was a lot of snoring that was going on. There were some funky smells. And so I just didn't really get a lot of sleep. But it was a fantastic time. Loved the experience. Let me also say this. I was down there with 27 college students from Rochester. 
Rochester. We joined 470 college students from around the country who, were par who partnered with another organization that was with 2,000 people down there in Houston. Let me just say this. Uh, from what I have witnessed over this past week, don't believe the lie that this generation does not care about um, serving and about caring for their culture. It's true. This generation cares deeply. And here's the thing, all of us old fuddy-duddies, right? I'm my, myself included in that. I'm, I'm including myself, because they see me as an old fuddy-duddy. So I'm including myself in this, is, is that we tend to think of, oh, it's all going to end, right? It's all, no. God has a generation. In every generation, God has people that serve him. Our job is can we, can we come alongside them and push them in the right direction? Uh, can we help them see God's picture for their lives? So I don't know. I don't know why I said that. I just did, okay? A um, little encouragement for you. Well, the, 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 as we look at this passage together, like what I have seen after this past week is that what this passage describes is really a renovation effort on behalf of Jesus. Jesus renovates literally our lives. He goes in and he renovates our lives. Anybody watch like Fixer Upper or um, again, for, for all of us old fuddy-duddies, this old house, you know, um, back in the day. What they did, you know, what they talk about before the renovation even starts is the plan. This is where we're going with the renovation. Do you like this? This is what's happening here. And so this, the first point I want to make is where we're going with the renovation. And here it is in this, from this passage, the first two verses is this, the goal of transformation is to be like Jesus. That's the end goal. That's where we're going. To say, I want to follow Jesus is essentially saying, yeah, I'm signing up to have my life renovated by Jesus so that eventually I look like him. And the beginning of this passage kind of paints a little bit of a picture on what that might look like for us. I'll read verse 1 again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Isn't that a nice verse? See that one crocheted on a lot of pillows, right? Oh, I got a fridge magnet with that one. That's so beautiful. So great. Well, the, the reality is that um, suffering can be a part of life and often is a part of life. In this congregation, as I'm here and you guys are sitting in those pews, there are, there are story after story of people right here who are suffering suffering physically, suffering emotionally. People here are suffering. And in the midst of suffering, you need to know that there's hope. And the hope is in the message of Jesus because the message of Jesus tells us that the person we worship, the person we followed, has suffered more than any of us would ever imagine. First of all, he identifies with our suffering. He knows what it's like to suffer to suffer physically to the point of an excruciating death and to, to suffer emotionally and spiritually to the point where all of the sins of the world were placed upon his shoulders. He understands suffering. He has placed himself there. That's the thing about Christianity that's unique from other religions is that our God that we worship has suffered alongside of us. Not only that, but there's resurrection. As we were talking about on Easter in a couple weeks, 
Suffering results someday in a resurrection. And sometimes we get to see that resurrection in the here and now in this life, and other times we wait for it. But we are promised as followers of Jesus that there is always a resurrection through suffering. And yes, the way of Jesus is not comfortable, but the way of Jesus is worth it, even in the midst of suffering. As we go on with this passage, another thing is highlighted. You start to see the contrast that the people that Peter is writing to in this passage are people who have lived a totally different life beforehand, and now they're called to a new life. They're called to the renovation work of Jesus in their lives. And he paints a picture of what their lives were beforehand. And essentially, these lives were, were spent on themselves and their pleasure and what they wanted. And Peter's describing this principle that selfishness destroys our lives. Selfishness destroys our lives. And, and in this passage, as he goes on to talk about not only the, the things that these people have done in the past, but he, he goes on to talk about their reactions as, as these people have left those ways of doing things, the reactions of the, of the culture around them, he uses a word. He uses the word surprised. He says, they're surprised that you don't act the same way anymore. That word surprised is my favorite word in this whole passage. Because it, it literally means um, strange thing. It means strange thing. They look at you and they go, that is a strange thing right there. Uh, it, I think if I was talking about this with college students, and there's some of you guys here today, this is how I would, I would label it. God wants us to be stranger things. Okay? Netflix, anyone? Any, anyway. Uh, stranger things. That's what he's calling us to be. That, to be like, oh my goodness, these people are strange, but there's something about them that I can't deny is unique, that, that points me to the God that they serve. Also, Peter in this passage talks about a judge. He doesn't skip over that point. He, he says quite honestly with people, there is a judge who will judge our actions someday. And so that's something we have to take seriously, that, that there is a judge who will look at our lives and we will either be measured by, by the standard of someone who has taken our place or we will be measured by our own standard and each one of us falls short. And we need to remind ourselves that there is a judge also, a part of that process is, is realizing that, that I don't have to be that judge. For us to settle into the fact that we are not the judge. Many people, especially kind of in a, in a younger culture right now, one of the way, major ways they define Christians is judgmental. Judgmental. And... I guess I see that in some regard, but I think a lot of, I think we're kind of misunderstood. But I think sometimes it's, it's because, honestly, because we do kind of judge other people, and I place myself in that category. I need to realize that this message of Jesus 
is not about me judging. It's about the God of the universe being in control and turning it over to him. God is in control. He is the judge. I heard a story uh, uh, from a lawyer who was talking about this principle, and he's a defense lawyer, and he was, he's also a Christian, and he was really having an intense moment of like ethical conflict. Can I do this and be a Christian? And so he went to a mentor and talked about his ethical kind of moment, like, can I do this? And his mentor said, said hold on, uh, I think you're misunderstanding the situation. First of all, as a defense lawyer, you, if someone tells you you're guilty, you, you know, that's against the code of ethics to, to represent them. Secondly, you're placing yourself in the wrong position. Because as, as a lawyer, your job isn't to sit and proclaim innocence or guilt. Your job is to represent that person. And I think a lot of times for us, what's easy to do is sit in the judge's seat. Am I right? And to sit there and to go to people who are outside of the faith and to look at them and say, I'm judging this or that's wrong and that's wrong. They need to hear truth. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't give truth. But ultimately, we, they shouldn't look at us and say, we are the judges um, because God is the one. That should be a relief for us too, okay? That should take the burden off of us as well. Well, finally, he paints this last picture of what a Christian life is supposed to be like. What a life, as you've internalized this message of Jesus, is supposed to be all about. And I summarize it this way. When we die to ourselves, we truly live. When we die to ourselves, we truly live. I took a seminary class a couple of years ago, and the professor said something that stuck with me. It was a uh, church history class. And he said something like this. He said, the message of Jesus, the gospel, is powerful because it's so simple, it can, be, it can be accepted by any culture across the whole world. Any culture can accept this message. At the same time, it's bold enough to really insult every culture in the whole world at the same time. And I think for us as Americans, sometimes we forget how the, how, how the message of Jesus insults us. Sometimes we want to craft the message of Jesus to fit our way of life rather than craft fitting our way of life to the message of Jesus. Let me give you an example. Um, and I, it's a pretty simple example. Rob really uh, alluded to this a couple of weeks ago. I want to take it just perhaps a little bit further with this and, and read you something. Uh, that maybe all of us would go right on, amen, cool, okay? So I'm going to read you something. Most of us are familiar with this in this room. Here it goes. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Okay, let me stop there. That's not something I'm arguing today. <laughs> that is a biblical principle. All people are created equal. And... That is something that our culture has not done well. It has ascribed to and should keep on ascribing to. We can be a message of that too. Okay, caveat, side note on that one. Um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, 
and pursuit of happiness. You guys got it. You guys got it. Way to go. Life, right? In Christianity, we can kind of take on these principles and kind of assume them into our life, into, into, the, into the way of Jesus. We can say, I have the right to be safe. As a Christian, I have the right to be safe. We can say, um, liberty. I have the right to do whatever I want to do as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, right? We can say, I have the right to happiness. I have the right for my own comfort to, do it, uh, to, to, to be happy. And I guess in a, in a cultural, significantly way, we do. This isn't a pot shot against America, okay? This isn't like that at all. If I, I love America. If I could have a bald eagle fly out of here right now onto the stage and then fireworks erupt and then a big banner unroll behind me that said America, I would totally do that. It would be awesome, okay? This is not a pot shot against America. It's a pot shot against the fact that we always look through our lens and apply the Bible through our lens. And we have to look at the Bible through Jesus' lens and say, is this applying to my life? And so what I think we need to do in our culture is to, to be radically different and to say, you know what, I have those rights, but I don't have to use those rights. I choose to put those rights aside because that's the way of Jesus. That's the way of Jesus. Now, I guarantee you this. You start doing that, and people will start looking at you, at us, and go, those people are some strange things right there. They're going to be, they're going to look at you and go, that is weird. That is just total. why would you do that? For example, like this past week, when I was down there with all these college students, right? They could have easily been partying and, and living the high life. A lot of college students from all across the country did. And inevitably, at almost every work location we went to, there would be someone who was there that would say, wow, you guys are here for this. Wow. And they would just be totally like shocked and like, wow, that's amazing. Why did you choose to do this, you know, with your break? And students were, would share just, hey, you know, we love Jesus and he wants us to serve. And there you go. I was inspired by that. I was inspired by their acts of service and people around noticed. All right. Well, there's this new way of operating. In the passage, it, it gives us four different ways. First of all is this, verse seven. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can create the perfect Facebook post. <laughs> oh, I should probably reread that, I guess. No. Uh, the end of all things is near. Be alert and of sober mind so that you may vote for the right candidate. No, not that one either. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Pray. You know, there's something about prayer that insults us as Americans. It insults our culture because our culture is, I'm the lone cowboy. I can do it all by myself, thank you very much. Uh, we're, our whole culture is built on the fact that we don't need a stinking king. We're going to dump your tea into the, into the harbor. You know, that's, that's our whole culture is built on that. But when we pray, we say, we can't do it on our own. I can't do this. I can't even, my own life, I can't even do on my own. God, I need you. There's a sense of that prayer is reorienting ourselves to God. 
That's the work of Jesus in our lives. The second way that Jesus starts to renovate our lives is this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. That word love is the word agape, which is a self-sacrificing love. It's the love that says, I will give of myself for you. It's the, it's the doesn't make sense kind of love that we have that we don't understand how that's even possible kind of love. It's the love that allows us to forgive other people that chooses to forgive even when we've been wronged. It's the, it's the love that says, I won't remain bitter when I have every right to be bitter. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. And that love doesn't just cover sins in this general sense. It, 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 and for the people out there, it covers it for us. Because when we're going around in a state of unforgiveness and bitterness, what we're doing is, is we're, we're causing all of our interactions to be affected by that. So love, man, it's been said that the greatest sign of spiritual maturity is the, the ability to love. And I believe that. I believe that. That's a tough call, though. And Jesus will always be working that in our lives. Third, says this, each of you should, you, oh no, hold on, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love the without grumbling part in there. That's kind of fun. Offer hospitality. You know, you don't have to be a, a Christian to be a great host. I should say that right here. I know great hosts that just don't have any faith background at all. They're just loving people. But I think if you say I'm following Jesus and you say I don't like people in my house, that doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. It doesn't line up, right? I mean, increasingly, though, our society is becoming that way. It's becoming that I, my space is my space. I will do my thing in my space. You will do your thing in your space. That's cool. Whatever you do in your space is cool. I'm not going to let you into my space, though. My food is my food. My stuff, get your hands off my stuff. Um, you know, the old, you guys he ever hear the slogan about uh, company in your house? Like, it's like fish after three days, it starts to go rotten. Is that, you know, ever hear that one? That's kind of the attitude that we have. And so our space, our stuff, everything that we hold on dearly to, um, it's so important. But in reality, um, what God calls us to when we host when we allow people into our space, he calls us into a deeper level of renovation in our lives because we start to realize that stuff is just stuff and people are people and that's what really matters. Okay. Finally, in this passage says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And there you see it. It's this, it's this progression from selfishness to service, from selfishness, which is our old way of life, to the renovation to just where we've served. And each of us has a gift. If you're sitting here today and you've said you're following Jesus, you have a gift that God has given you in your life to serve the people around you. And a lot of times we go, oh, I don't know, I'd, I'd just rather be in my comfort zone. I'd rather not be challenged out of that. But God uses those things in our lives. He wants to use them not just for the people out there. Yes, he's going to use them in other people's lives. But he's also going to use them in our lives too. 
I think about a story from this past week. One of the first people that we went to see uh, was named Miss Marietta. And we visited her house and got there. And my team, I had a, I had a group of seven college students with me. And our job was to take out some of the drywall in the house, which was moldy. There was another group of college students who were working on the roof. They were from Ohio State. They were working on the roof, and they were going to reshingle it with the help of professionals, of course. <laughs> Trained professionals are very important in this situation. Um, and so my group got there, and we discovered, after we were talking to the project manager, there's someone who was managing this whole house, that our job was already done. But Miss Marietta happened to be in the driveway at the same time that we got there. So I approached Miss Marietta and I said, Miss um, Marietta, our job is done here, uh, but we still want to serve you today. What way can we serve you when we're here? And she said, I don't know. I don't really feel like I deserve it. I don't feel like really deserving of this. I, you know, I don't feel worthy. She must have said, I don't deserve it or I don't feel worthy seven or eight times during the conversation as we were talking. And at one point, I just stopped and, and just looked her in the eye and said, Miss Marietta, we're here because God sent us here and he wants us to serve you and he loves you and you're worth it. And she said, I know he loves me. I know he loves me. But I just don't. And then she said, I, well, I guess if you could clean my kitchen, that might be good. So I said, great, let's go. Let's do it. Kitchen time. Here we go. So a group of us went, and we, we went to the kitchen, and we started to clean out the cabinets. And it was there that I realized, I think, what Miss Marietta was talking about. I realized that in these kitchen cabinets, they were all full of various, you know, kind of cram-packed with stuff. And some of them, a lot, there was a lot of rat droppings all over the place. All over the place there were rat droppings. Um, there was mold, a lot of mold. And it hit me that maybe Miss Marietta felt like in order for, to deserve to be served, she had to have things in the right place. And it made me think about my own life that maybe that's the case for me too. To deserve this reckless, crazy love of God that we were just singing about, that I have to earn that in some way. That it takes my life being cleaned up to a certain level in order to, to get that. But you know what? Regardless of that, I saw these students serve. They didn't once utter a, a complaint they didn't once utter, utter, oh, why are we here? They just did it. And over, it took us a couple hours, but cleaned out that whole thing. And it was Miss Marietta's dream. She told me this in the driveway. She was like, I really, wanted a new, I really want a new kitchen. And I, and I talked to the project manager and said, there's no way she can use what's here. He said, I know, I know, we gotta. So he put in some calls and, and did the work and um, found out that I'll go back the next day and he said, we got it, we did it. He said, we got her the new kitchen. And he told her that and she just started bawling. Just feeling so unworthy, so grateful, such joy at being served to that level 
Not only that, that you would clean up, but that you would give her something new. Grace. That's the picture of grace. That's what God's grace is in our lives. It's this amazing thing that we can't comprehend or understand. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it, but it's God's grace. And, and I love Miss Marietta's response. This is one of the reasons why she's a hero for me. That night she was a meeting, at a meeting with other homeowners and people who were serving. And she heard the story of another woman who got up to share her story. And, and it was so moving that, that Miss Marietta just took some cash out of her pocket don't know how much, and she, she got the project manager's hand and, and, and just kind of said, Here, this, is for, this is for that lady over there. She just put that money, and, and the project manager said, he didn't even look, he didn't see how much it was. He just went up to that lady afterwards and, and gave it and said, this is from Marietta, and just gave it. That is a perfect illustration of what the grace of God is supposed to do in our lives. That we go, I can't believe how much you've blessed me. I can't believe what you've given me that I didn't deserve. Wow, that person needs to be, needs to be served as well. Here you go. And it's not out of guilt. It's not out of pain. It's out of a self, like a recognition of how much we've been given, that we give. That's what service is all about. So let me end this with a question again. Has your life been transformed by God? Has your life been transformed by God? If so, if so, and you aren't serving, it's time to serve. I'll just put it bluntly. I'm not a pastor here, so I can do that. <laughs> Inside your bulletin, there's a little, there's a little tab. On that tab, there's a little box you can mark called uh, serve. Just on the way out, there's some baskets. If you feel like, man, I'm, I'm not serving right now uh, in the way. I, I'm just kind of sitting on that gracious gifts that God has given me. On the way out, just, just place that, that tab with the information in it. Just place that in those baskets on the way out. And if someone will get back in touch with you say, hey, how can you use your gifts here in this community to make it a better place. Um, love you all. Thankful for this opportunity. Uh, what I'm praying is that, that as we lean into this, that people will look around and say, those Browncroft people, they are some strange people. But they love God. And there's something about that God that they serve. And I think I want to be a part of that too. Let's pray.